As you all know, short football analysis is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. And this week, we are bringing back our Thursday night points promo. The total points scored in the Thursday night game between the Green Bay Packers and Arizona Cardinals represent the percentage of any product on the site Friday, October 29th. Our week four promo resulted in 45% off site-wide. Visit sharpfootballanalysis.com on Friday and check out the blue banner at the top of the page, which will have the discount code. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal, and in a few minutes, I'll be joined by Corey March of Sports Info Solutions to talk about some of this week's biggest games and recommend a few player props. But first, as always, I want to look back at one big takeaway from last week. And I, this week, I want to focus on a conversation that we had with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer last week about the Bengals and the Ravens. Obviously, the Bengals ended up pulling off a big upset in that game. And one of the things that I asked Charlie about his take on the Bengals was how would they handle Lamar Jackson? Because last week, as we mentioned, they were, uh, or last year, in the two games against Lamar Jackson, in the first meeting, the Bengals blitzed at a pretty high rate and had success causing problems for the for the Ravens. In the second meeting, they basically abandoned the blitz altogether. So I was curious for Charlie's insider take on that. And he gave a, a really logical explanation. He said that basically they were decimated by injuries of the guys that they wanted to use at blitzing against Lamar Jackson. And that basically they just didn't have the personnel that they trusted to continue blitzing at a high rate. So they just abandoned it in that second game, which you know made both of us think that heading into this game, it was something that we could see them use a little bit more. And maybe get back to some of that success that they showed in their first meeting in 2020. And, you know, basically that's, that's what we saw as Charlie said, you know, he thought that they were going to use defensive backs to blitz that they wanted to get some of their better athletes chasing after Lamar Jackson and causing problem. And we saw that Von Bell, Mike Hilton, Jesse Bates, Ricardo Allen, all those guys were used on blitzes at various points throughout the game. And, you know, the Bengals had a ton of success with it. You know, the game got out of hand a little bit in the fourth quarter. So they backed off the blitz uh, towards the end, but through three quarters, the Bengals blitzed 26% of the time, which would have been their highest rate of the year. So it definitely appeared to be something that, you know, they recognized that they could do well and cause problems for Lamar Jackson. I'll throw out a few numbers now as far as how Jackson did against those blitz on 10 dropbacks against the Bengals blitz. Jackson was two of eight passing for 10 yards two sacks and a negative 11.2 EPA. So, you know, the Bengals successfully wreaked havoc on the Ravens passing game by blitzing Lamar Jackson. And, you know, that's something that, you know, it was a relatively low rate. It's not something that we've seen Lamar Jackson struggle with, you know, on a week to week basis against other opponents. But if I were a coach having to face Lamar Jackson, I would spend a lot of time diving into that tape and figuring out, what are the Bengals doing well? Because they did it in one game last year. They've now done it again uh, in this matchup. They seem to be onto something here as far as causing problems with the blitz. Maybe specifically, as Charlie talked about, using defensive backs to blitz more. It seems to be something that's working for the Bengals. So my big takeaway here is really, you know, not so much specifically to the Bengals blitz because it's not something that they do a whole lot, but it boosts my confidence in the coaching staff. They clearly identified something that they can do well against Lamar Jackson. They adjusted their game plan to blitz a little bit more often than they seem to typically be comfortable doing because they thought it was an area where they had an advantage in a really big divisional game. And 
this was a coaching staff that many of us did not have a lot of confidence in coming into the year. You know, here at Sharp Football Analysis in our NFL preview book, we, uh, you know, all the, all the writers involved, we were uh, polled on as far as our rankings on different units. And with the coaching staff units, we ranked specifically just the head coach. Uh, and the, the Bengals ranked dead, dead last among returning head coaches. Obviously, a few of the rookies were ranked below Zach Taylor, but among returning head coaches, nobody, nobody ranked below Zach Taylor. In fact, a few of the rookies were actually ahead of him. Uh, so, you know, there was very, very low confidence level. I think many of us assumed that he was on the hot seat entering this year, and he probably was, but with the way that they've performed, you know, I think he's safely off the hot seat for now. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually starting to have a little bit of confidence in this coaching staff. That says a lot about them being able to identify an area where they have an advantage against a team that's probably overall still more talented than them, but they correctly identified a spot where they could have success and it worked to their advantage and definitely played a significant role in them pulling off a big upset. So, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, obviously the result of that game overall boosted our confidence in Cincinnati, but looking at it a little bit more closely, seeing how the coaching staff approached this game, I'm starting to take the Bengals pretty seriously as a threat in the AFC to make the playoffs. Now I'd like to welcome in Corey March of Sports Info Solutions. Corey, thanks for joining me today. How's it going? Hey, Ryan. It's going really well. Good to be here. Looking forward to a jam-packed Sunday of football. We had a bunch of buys last week, and now only two this week. Sunday schedule is looking jam-packed. Yeah, it's looking like a good schedule. A little bit of a bounce back from last week, which at least heading into the week wasn't super exciting, although some upsets did make things a little more entertaining than we were maybe anticipating. So what we'll do today is we'll start out just hitting on a couple of the bigger games of the week. We may or may not have you know, a lean as far as betting goes for these games. But as always, we want to touch on a few of the bigger games of the week because obviously there's more action on these games and you may have these in office pools and whatnot. So starting out with a big rivalry game, let's lead off with Steelers at the Browns. Browns favored by three and a half in this one, total set to 42 points. As it has been the last few weeks, injuries are a big storyline in this game for the Browns. They're hoping to get Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield back as of today. We'll see how that plays out. Obviously, the injury list for Cleveland is a lot longer than that, though, as it has been for a few weeks. So that's kind of looming over this game. But, Corey, what do you what do you think going into this game? Do you have any lanes or whatnot? As far as the spread and the total go, I think um, my biggest lean here is probably to side with the Browns and the points. So... I think, like you mentioned, some guys are are looking to come back into the fold. And if, if Baker's healthy and out there and Chubb is healthy and out there, you might see the spread move a little bit. But to be perfectly honest, Case Keenum looked good last week. I think when Baker's out there playing less than 100%, they're more or less equals. Um, Dearness Johnson looked great. So if Nick Chubb were to miss another game, I don't think the team is too negatively impacted. Um, on the flip side, the Steelers um, not playing – great football haven't been playing great football for about a year now and the way I said uh Keenum and, and Mayfield are almost interchangeable right now can maybe even say that about Ben Roethlisberger and Dwayne Haskins not not in a complimentary way um both yeah so Brown's battling some injuries but I think could make the argument that they're the deepest team in, in football can can navigate their way through injuries um I like them here even if they are a little bit battered yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that would be my lean. It's not something that I feel strongly about. 
um, if, you know, closer to game day, if we, you know, hear that a lot of these guys are going to go and are close to hundred percent, you know, we, obviously the line could change some, you know, that would affect things also, but you know, if the line stayed right around three and a half, four or something like that, and we learned that a bunch of these guys are healthy, I would certainly feel more strongly about the Browns. I did want to throw out a couple numbers though, just because one of the questions I have going into this game is can the Browns run the ball? And obviously they did that with great success last week. I'm a little bit skeptical of them being able to do it with the Steelers if Chubb can't go. I'm just not sure if maybe that was just a great matchup for Dernis Johnson and he you know, took advantage of you know, offensive line clearing him some space, which I'm not as confident they'll be able to do against the Steelers. We'll throw out a few numbers here from you guys at Sports Info Solutions. Outside the red zone, the Browns are averaging, Browns running backs are averaging 2.7 yards before contact third most, which obviously speaks somewhat to running back talent, but obviously a lot of the offensive line as well. Outside the red zone, the Steelers defense, they're allowing 1.4 yards before contact. That's the second fewest in the league. So this is really strength versus strength right here. And I'm not sure that I have full confidence in Darius Johnson if he's the lead back. Now, if Chubb comes back and we have reason to believe that he's close to healthy, that obviously boosts my confidence there, you know, despite how good Johnson looked last week, obviously, there's a bit of a difference, especially uh, in Chubb's ability to create yards after contact. So if the Steelers are gaining an advantage there up front and getting to him in the backfield a little bit more often, Chubb's one of a handful of running backs that have proven to consistently be productive in those situations. So I think we could have more confidence in the Browns being able to run the ball. So yeah, like you said, it sounds like we're both on the same page, leaning Browns with, you know, a moderate amount of confidence. If guys come back healthy, that, you know, boosts the confidence a little bit. So Let's jump now to another division game, which is theoretically an important game. It's the Titans at the Colts. The Colts are in the mix if they win this game, but they've already played. Titans took care of business. Uh, so this is, this is a big, really a must-win game for the Colts, for them to stay alive in the division. And if the Titans win, then suddenly it looks like they're kind of running away with things in the AFC South. So the Titans are favored by only one point, which kind of feels stinky to me. <laughs> it's a little bit surprising. Obviously, playing on the road is a factor there, but I definitely anticipated that line being a little bigger. What's What are your feelings going into this one? Yeah, it is a, a little bit of a sketchy line, so that got me thinking along the lines of, you know, what is the spread trying to tell us here? Um, I think what I came away with thinking is that the if I was leaning one direction, it'd be uh, toward the Colts. Um, I think, like you mentioned, these two teams already played. Titans took care of business. That probably gets better thinking along, along those lines. You know, what's going to stop them from doing that again? Um, but I tend to like to side with a, a, home, a home dog, short home dog in a divisional matchup think the Colts are playing better football than they were at that point. Probably say the same thing about the Titans, but uh, Titans are really in the middle of a a gauntlet here. They played Buffalo, Kansas city looking ahead. They're playing the Rams next week, the saints the week after. So maybe there's a little bit of a a letdown here just as they're going through such a tough stretch. Um, As far as our, our total points metric here at at sports info solutions um, on a team level kind of looks at how well these teams are playing above below expectation they they fall really close to each other in terms of uh, performance so far this season and uh we all know the titans play um you know offense heavily reliant on derrick henry in the run game 
uh, according to total points, the, the Colts are actually the number one run defense, according to uh, run defense points saved. I was a little bit surprised to see that, but definitely a standout number there. Yeah, that's definitely key. I, as I said, this line just kind of reeks to me. And I, I, so it feels like a stay away game, but I agree. I kind of lean towards the Colts and the run game was one of the things that I wanted to bring up. Also, some interesting numbers from their first meeting was that Henry was hit on at or behind the line of scrimmage on 50% of his carries against the Colts, which certainly speaks to their ability to kind of wreak havoc up front. Now, Henry, you know, playing behind a mediocre offensive line, he does tend to get hit up front by, against a lot of teams, but he's the type of running back that, you know, like I mentioned with Nick Chubb in the last game that we were talking about, Henry's the type of guy that typically that doesn't phase him and he still just plows through that and picks up extra yards. But against the Colts, as I said, he was hit at or behind the line of scrimmage on 14 of 28 carries. On those 14 carries where they contacted him at or behind the line of scrimmage, he only gained 22 yards. So when the Colts were able to blow through the, the offensive line and create contact in the backfield, they were bringing Henry down, which not everybody does. Even teams that are able to get to him, you know, some of the weaker teams are, he's, you know, he's just running through them anyway. And the Colts, at least in that first matchup, seem to have success in doing so. So, you know, that that is one angle that kind of makes me think that maybe we're, you know, maybe the general public is undervaluing the Colts, uh, but the line is also, you know, I feel a lot better if it were like a four and a half or something like that, which is kind of what I thought it'd be like. A little, I thought it'd be a little bit over three. So the, with the line where it is, I think it's a stay away, but, you know, monitor the line, you know, you never know what could happen. I, I definitely uh, feel like the public perception of this is, you know, that the Titans should be heavily favored. So it, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, some money came in that direction to maybe shift the line in a direction that would make it easier for us to feel good about betting the Colts. Yeah. There's usually something to be said if the public is heavy on, on one team, especially a favorite, a road favorite, but the line isn't moving or even moving the other direction. So yeah. definitely keep, keep an eye on what's going on there. Yeah. Definitely something to keep an eye on. If, if the line did move, maybe I would jump on the Colts, but for now it's, it's a lean, but a stay away. Now let's talk about Sunday night football. We got Cowboys at Vikings. This is an interesting game. I think it's potentially going to be a really exciting Sunday night football game because both of these teams uh, have the ability to uh, put up some points and the defenses, you know, have the ability to give up some points as well in the right situation. Uh, how are you feeling about this game with the Cowboys favored by two points? Mostly feeling excited. This is a, a game I'm looking forward to probably the most uh, looking forward to on the Sunday schedule. It's, it's tough. It, you know, as a, I guess, a seasoned uh, <laughs> football better, just somebody who's, uh, you know, surrounded by stats day in, day out, seems to be pointing to the Cowboys, like on, on paper, that seems like the Cowboys are the better team. The public is definitely betting that way. Uh, public is really backing Dallas here. Um, Dallas is number one in yards per play, points per drive, points per game. The offense is really clicking right now, but the Vikings aren't a slouch either. The Vikings are a little bit under the radar. I feel like Kirk Cousins is definitely under the radar. Um, He's one of the top quarterbacks. He he was the number one quarterback in passing points earned uh, heading into last week. Now ranks number three. He's first in passing points earned per play at home where they'll be playing this weekend. I know he's a good quarterback at home. Um, Dallas, their defense is definitely playing well this year, better than it has in the past. Uh, it does seem like they tend to play a little bit of, uh, you know, tend to favor man coverage, cover one uh, 
a bit, and that's definitely in Cousins' favor. He uh, plays really well against man coverage, um, some of the more drastic men zone splits in the league. So if they're going to come out and play a lot of men, I like that for Cousins in this matchup. And just from the, the betting perspective, the numbers there, like I said, the public is really behind Dallas here, but it seems like the line is, if anything, moving the other direction. So reverse line movement uh, tends to be maybe the biggest indicator if you're looking at things um, from that angle. So um, as a result, I kind of like the Vikings here. Um, like I said, Dallas looks really good on paper, but if you look closely at the betting numbers, kind of looks at the kind of makes you think about the Vikings and those are the, the matchups I like to tend to take. Yeah, it sounds like we're on the same page on a lot of these because I'm kind of thinking the same thing. It's not one that I – it sounds like I might have a little bit less confidence in, in it than you, but this definitely was my lean as well. I, I definitely think this is going to be an exciting game. I mentioned these are two explosive offenses. Based on explosive play rate, which we could define as plays gaining either 10 or more yards on the ground, 20 or more yards through the air, the Cowboys and Vikings ranked first and fourth respectively on offense. So both of these teams have the ability to move the ball, create – chunk yardage I think it could be a really exciting game um another stat you know I'm hesitant to put too much faith in us in these like post buy type stats but this did jump out to me because it kind of kind of confirms my opinion of Kellen Moore as an offensive coordinator I, I think he's one of the better offensive coordinators in the league and uh poss- possibly even would be even better if he weren't maybe held back a little bit by the head coach I have some questions about Mike McCarthy still as a lot of people do but the past two years with him as offensive coordinator coming out of their bye, they scored 37 and 31 points. And that includes last year that their bye was after the Dak Prescott injury when they put up 31 points against this Vikings team with Andy Dalton, at quarterback. So, you know, that's a really small sample size. It's hard to, you know, compare year to year or whatnot, but you know, that's maybe a small amount of evidence. You could say that Kellen Moore uh, is pretty good when given, given time to prepare um, so, you know, I have a little, you know, just a little bit of added faith to the uh, Cowboys putting points up on the board. I think if I were going to bet anything in this game, though, one of the bets, of, one of the props that stood out to me was Kirk Cousins. His pass attempts uh, is 37 and a half, which he's gone over that number in four of six games already. And, you know, if we're thinking about both of these offenses, having the ability to pick up chunk yardage, maybe have some big plays, we could have some short scoring drives that definitely like boost the pace of this game a little bit. I, I think that seems very realistic that he could potentially fly past that and get into the forties. Just, you know, this could be a game where both teams are, you know, scoring in the thirties, even, you know, the, the total is at the 55. If they go past that, you know, I, I think cousins pretty easily hits the over on those pass attempts. Cause you know, it's, it's likely uh, that they're going to have success. You know, the numbers that you mentioned about him going up against the Cowboys pass defense, I hadn't looked into those, but you know, that, that just further boosts my confidence. Like if he's going to have success against his pass defense, I think we should expect uh, heavy passing volume from them and uh, probably a pretty fast paced game going up and down the field. So let's go now to some of the player props. Those are the three big games that we wanted to touch on. Now we'll go into some player props as we do every week. Let's give you a couple that we like. Corey, why don't you lead us off with one of your favorite props of the week? Yeah, the first one I'm going to throw out there is Jared Goff over on his pass completions. So I haven't seen a number yet come out from a, a, a book anywhere, but um, just in theory, I like this this uh, this prop. Um, I feel like the the public is probably anti Goff, uh, helping deflate this number a little bit as uh, 
as sports books try and you know get some even uh, bet distribution here. Um, but I do like this matchup quite a bit for Goff, maybe not to go out and light up the scoreboard um, in that sense, but I, I like his ability to go out there and complete passes on Sunday. Um, Goff throws the highest rate of passes uh, under 10 yards, 77% of his pass attempts are traveling 10 yards or less. And the Eagles are allowing the second highest completion percentage on throws that are traveling 10 or fewer yards. 83% of those throws against the Eagles have been completed. So even if they're not picking up tons of yardage, I like Goff's ability to, to connect here and, and fill up the statute, at least from a completions sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. I mean, I used some similar analysis and article on sharp football analysis this week. Uh, it was from a DFS angle there, but I was basically, I was highlighting Goff as potentially one of the better values at quarterback this week, pretty much for the same reason. This Eagles pass defense shouldn't scare them. Lions like to do and Goff likes to do lots of, you know, short passing game. I don't think the Eagles will be able to stop that. So even if it's not like a huge offensive explosion for the Lions, that, that definitely makes sense. They should be able to move the ball in this Eagles defense just with that short passing game and inflate his completion total. One that I really like is the DK Metcalf receiving yards over. You know, this will be dependent on the line. I haven't seen it posted yet, but I'm, I'm going to bring up this angle a couple times uh, this week. But it's the rookie quarterback angle, which I like betting against good receivers going up against rookie cornerbacks, partially because it's just a matchup that they can take advantage of. But opposing quarterbacks and offensive coordinators are often very aware of where the rookie quarterback cornerback is on the other side. And they like to pick on them. So in this matchup, it's Jaguars rookie cornerback Tyson Campbell. I mentioned this on the pod a couple of times early in the season, uh, and it was successful when he went up against Jamar Chase. Unfortunately, he got hurt the following game. So we've had to avoid this a couple of weeks. But Tyson Campbell, as I mentioned, you know, a few weeks ago, if you've been listening all season, he he really struggled in college last year at Georgia. He's he's all about he's a project for the Jaguars. He has the length and the testing numbers that you know teams love to target. But you know, this Jack on this Jaguars roster, he's basically been thrown to the wolves and he's not ready for it. In the he's had three starts so far this season. Again, these, these are numbers from you guys at Sports Info Solutions. In his three starts, 25% of all targets against the Jaguars were directed at Tyson Campbell and 29% of the intended air yards. Uh, and, and if you watch that Thursday night game against the Bengals, you know, Chris Collins, I remember, was talking about it a few times during that game about it's just him going up against Tamar Chase was such a huge mismatch that the Bengals were taking shots at him downfield multiple times. He went, Chase went over his receiving yards that game fairly easily and even had a couple missed opportunities downfield. So the Bengals were definitely taking advantage of it. I don't see why the Seahawks wouldn't try to do the same thing. Now, you may be, you know, you may be wondering, is Geno Smith a factor in this? Obviously, we have less confidence with Geno Smith at quarterback, but it seems like the line has adjusted for this. You know, we don't have this week's numbers, but with Russell Wilson at quarterback, uh, DK Metcalf's receiving yards line had typically been right around 75 yards pretty consistently last week Metcalf's line was at 61 and a half so that's a pretty big cushion being built in you know for the downgraded quarterbacks and so that makes me confident that you know even with Geno Smith you know the line's already giving us the downgrade so I'm not too concerned about it so assuming it's available that same spot low 60s you know even up to you know maybe 65 66. I still really like the over for this because I think Seattle's going to just throw his direction and he's going to take advantage of that matchup with Tyson Campbell. Yeah, I like it. 
Um, I, you mentioned the Geno Smith factor. First thought in my head was, yeah, the number will probably be yep. significantly lower uh, to compensate for that. And yeah, you definitely touched on that. Your points there. Um, I write a, a weekly football newsletter for Sports Info Solution, and uh, I just kind of like blindly looked over a bunch of different relevant cornerback stats, and Tyson Campbell was the, the first guy on the list that I wanted to spotlight, but he had a buy, so I, yeah. I, I left him out of the <laughs> of the uh, the segment there. But he he was definitely uh, definitely someone who's who's been getting picked on, and yeah, and yeah, DK, Metc- DK Metcalf was probably if not the toughest matchup in the league, top three. So good luck to him. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely getting picked on. And it also it's, I don't think that this is a, an angle that sportsbooks ever, ever really adjust for too much. The cornerback matchups, if anything, it's usually the opposite way. Like, you know, someone going up against Jalen Ramsey, sometimes maybe they'll adjust that way, but I, I rarely see a line significantly adjusted because they're facing a bad cornerback like this. So yeah, you know, we'll see how DK Metcalf does in this matchup. This is potentially one that we could just keep coming back to if Campbell continues to get picked on at a high rate. But anyways, what, what else do you have for us as far as props this week? The other one I have top of mind is Tua Tungavailoa under on his longest pass completion. Another one I haven't seen actually posted yet at Sportsbooks, but I'm thinking it'll probably somewhere be somewhere in the vicinity of 34 and a half, give or take a yard. Um, so the Dolphins are going up against Buffalo this weekend, and this uh, prop, specifically longest pass completion under against the Bills, has kind of been like something I'll like kind of refer to as a cheat code, or like you know as far you know as close as you can get with uh, sports book uh, sports books and prop betting this year. Um, so the the Bills are just one not getting tested at all deep. That's a must be a specialty of theirs, um, deep coverage, putting it all together. Um, only 4% of opponent pass attempts have traveled 20 plus air yards. They allowed nine passes of 20 plus yards on the season. The next few is 13. Um, and like I said, we're looking at a number probably around 34 and a half here. Um, Tua has only completed one pass over 32 yards this season so far. Miami's 26th in the league in explosive pass rate. So good matchup all around uh, Buffalo limiting deep passes to a not being uh, super inclined or successful throwing deep. Um, the bet itself hasn't been foolproof this year. Um, it did take two losses, um, but it was a little bit fluky. If I, uh, if I'm, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm able to say um, one came on the Julio Jones off the helmet catch otherwise would have hit. And the other one came on a Antonio Gibson 73 yard touchdown run after catch, which was caught behind the yeah. line of scrimmage. So yeah, take yeah. away those two somewhat fluky plays and we're looking at all, all unders here. So without those, you know, we're not immune to some fluky plays, but the number is definitely like the under here. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Dolphins obviously just trending in the wrong direction overall to it, not being super aggressive, tough defense. Yeah, <laughs> that definitely all adds up. Going for another quarterback prop this week. I'm going to give the same one that I gave out last week. I gave out the Justin Fields under on his passing yards. That was successful last week. Going back to it again this week against the 49ers. My reasoning is a little bit different. Last week I gave it out based on the fact that Fields is just terrible against the Blitz as he was in college. I didn't think that was something he was going to figure out against the Tampa Bay Bucks defense, a defense that blitz at the highest rate in the league. Now, San Francisco, they only blitz at the 15th highest rate 
at 23%. So I'm not confident enough that that's going to be a factor. Although if they're smart and it looks like D'Amico Ryans has done a nice job as defensive coordinator this season, seeing how bad Fields is against the Blitz, he just simply can't handle it. That number should increase. So, you know, that that boosts my confidence a little bit in just like the hope that they increase their Blitz rate against him and potentially shut him down. But one of the big reasons why I I like this uh, bet again this week is the play action game. That's really the only way Fields has had success in the passing game is off play action. He's averaging eight yards per attempt off play action, 5.8 without play action. San Francisco, they've been one of the best teams in the league against play action. In fact, they're allowing 6.2 yards per per attempt against play action. That's the lowest rate in the NFL. So they've had success defending pretty much the only thing Justin Fields is doing well right now. That plus factoring in the possibility that they increase their blitz rate to slow him down a little bit. I think that's, you know, this is potentially a really good matchup. And also, I think the 49ers defense is maybe not getting enough respect because their issues on offense have been so highlighted. But, you know, as I mentioned, D'Amico Ryans is having a pretty good year. This has been a good 49ers defense. Quarterbacks have gone under their passing yards against the 49ers every week except week one when Jared Goff went over. And if you remember that game, that was when, you know, basically midway through the fourth quarter, the 49ers stopped playing defense and let the Lions claw their way back into that game. So even that one was a really strange game that allowed Goff to hit the over in that one. Otherwise, you know, it's five straight games where they've kept their quarterbacks under the passing yards. I was, I wrote this up for my analysis on short, on sharp football analysis this week. And I mentioned in that article that I was hoping it'd be around 200 yards because fields total has been above 203 straight weeks. So it has dropped pretty significantly to 188 and a half. I still like it though, for all the reasons I mentioned. And also, you know, Fields has only gone over that number once this season. He just barely ticked over 200 yards in one game. So I still think that this is a pretty favorable number. Maybe I'll I'll wager a little bit less on it than I would if it had been over 200 again. But, you know, he's really struggling and they're not asking him to do too much, which is one of the reasons why his numbers have been so suppressed. They're just they're keeping things simple for him to try and not put too much on his plate. And against a good 49ers defense, I don't think they're going to suddenly increase his workload a lot in this game. So. I feel good about that one again. Let's now turn our attention to Thursday night football. We like to wrap up with this every week since we released the pod on Thursday night. We've got Cardinals, Packers. I'm a little bit kicking myself today when I went and looked at the line because when I first looked at it, I really liked the Cardinals. They opened it uh, as three and a half point favorites, and I liked that line for them, but I didn't actually jump on it. It's now up to six and a half. And I think the big reason is probably Devonta Adams and Alan Lazard are going to be out due to COVID. So obviously without Adams, we have to lose a ton of confidence in the Packers ability to throw the ball in this game. So, you know, I, I don't know how that affects your opinions on that game. If you got stuck in the situation I did or not, what, what's your take going into Thursday night? <laughs> yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I actually didn't realize the line moved. Uh, that much until yeah. you mentioned it just now. I, I did like it a lot at three and a half. <laughs> like it, if I was still leaning, I would still lean Cardinals here, but d- definitely less uh, less in favor now at that number. But like you said, um, Rogers is going to be without a couple of his weapons, especially um, you know it's going to be big not having Devonte Adams. Um, the uh, the 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 Packers or or um, Aaron Rodgers in particular is much, much better 
throwing from a clean pocket than he is throwing from under pressure. Um, and Arizona ranks first, according to Sports Info Solutions, in pass rush points saved. So that's uh, something that really jumps out at me. Um, actually, in this week's football newsletter, uh, which I referenced earlier, I'm talking about quarterbacks and, and how well they perform uh, under pressure versus without pressure. And really the, the one quarterback that stood out more than anybody else was Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's below average uh, when faced with pressure and pretty clear at the top as the number one quarterback when throwing from a clean pocket. So um, that's definitely working against him here. Plus the fact that if he's going to be throwing with a you know fair amount of pressure throughout the game, not having Devontae Adams as that security blanket, it's going to be a pretty, pretty significant loss there. Um, I think Arizona's still a little bit, a little bit underrated, even as an undefeated team, they're number one in, in total points, according to sports info solutions. Um, I think at full strength, this would have been the game of the week and something to really um, look forward to, but a little bit less, uh, a little bit less attractive. Now I do like the Cardinals, you know, still lean their way with them with minus six and a half. So yep. kick it back to you. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Rogers against pressure. Cause I had some similar numbers that I wanted to share and it's, Related to their uh, his performance against the Blitz, he, he's not necessarily terrible against the Blitz, but the Cardinals was at the fourth highest rate. And so Rogers against the Blitz has he ranks 28th in EPA per her dropback. That's despite the fact that against the Blitz, he's the only get, he's getting pressured at the fifth lowest rate. So when teams blitz, they're not necessarily getting pressure on him, but he's struggling. What that tells me is his receivers aren't creating a ton of separation and making plays when he needs to get the ball out quickly. And without Adams, I, you know, without going back and watching all of those plays, I assume that the few successful plays he's having against the blitz is when he's able to get it out and get it to Adams. So without him, I wonder if the Cardinals are just going to be able to destroy their passing game by blitzing at a high rate and just forcing Rogers to, you know, maybe take some gambles in the tight windows, which maybe leads to some turnovers. Like they could potentially really dominate Rogers by getting a lot of pressure to him, by getting to him with their blitz, especially with it being something that they already want to do at a high rate. And, you know, we just, we don't really have any reason to trust any of those receivers. So that was definitely one of the things, early, you know, knowing that early on definitely made me, even with Adams on the field, made me think, this was going to be a game where the Cardinals defense could really cause some problems for Rodgers. But, you know, with the line adjusting, I don't know. It's a, it's a lean for me still, even at six and a half, but I don't know that I have the confidence to lay almost a touchdown. Yeah, this is, this is purely speculation, but based on what I know about Aaron Rodgers in the media and uh, just him as a, as a, a person as a player doesn't really seem like he has a lot of interest in, in taking hits and, and staying in the pocket when pressure comes uh, in his face, yeah. he's, he's last in the league in completion percentage and on target throw percentage under pressure. So it's probably just yeah. trying to save himself, get rid of the ball and, you know, move yeah, on to the next play. yeah, it definitely makes sense. He's, he's, he is good at getting rid of the ball and avoiding technically being under pressure, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those decisions are great, especially if his receivers aren't creating that quick separation. So as far as props for this game, I think we each have one that we like. What, what do you like on this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards Randall Cobb over four and a half receptions. Um, it, it's pretty bleak out there in, in terms of the wide receivers that are going to be lining up for, for Green Bay. Um, still TBD, whether Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going to take the field. Um, I think that does have, have some bearing on whether or not you want to take this Cobb prop. But especially if he's not out there, Cobb's probably going to be the most featured wide receiver on the field. 
no other wide receivers behind Cobb on the depth chart have run more than 20 routes this season. And as we know, Randall Cobb tends to be slot underneath receiver. If uh, Rogers facing a ton of pressure, I think he's going to be Rogers go-to guy. So I think uh, if he's, if he's the focal point of this offense, given his you know, playing style and the way the defense is going to be uh, probably getting to Aaron Rodgers quite a bit, I think things align for him to go over four and a half or, you know, even push double digits. I don't want to get carried away, but if, if that's the way this game is trending, he could see a lot of, a lot of uh, workload. Yeah. I, I think that angle lines up really well with what I was just saying about the blitz. If Rogers is facing a blitz and needing to get rid of the ball quickly, you know, who's he going to look for without Adams? It would certainly make sense if it's Cobb almost every time knowing the role he plays in the offense and just the familiarity that those two have, I could definitely see him having a line of like, you know, eight receptions for 52 yards or something like that. Not really making a huge impact on the game, but just kind of st- pounding the the catches, patting the statue a little bit in that regard. One that I like is the DeAndre Hopkins over and his receiving yards. I'm slightly hesitant as it sounds like he's still uh, nursing. I believe it was a hamstring injury that's kept him out of practice this week. He hasn't practiced yet. Um the fact that he hasn't practiced doesn't really raise a red flag to me necessarily because obviously, you know, it's not super uncommon for veterans to be held out of practice and then show up, you know, pretty close to hundred percent. So I still definitely like this, but what, what I'm kind of doing to hedge a little bit is I'm pairing it with an AJ green over Hopkins. The over is uh, 61 and a half receiving yards, AJ green at 46 and a half. My, my thinking here is, as I said, I like betting against rookie cornerbacks and the Packers have one in Eric Stokes. And since Stokes has been specifically struggling defending down the field, I think it makes sense that Hopkins and Green could potentially both have success against him. So this could potentially both win. If Hopkins can't go for some reason, or maybe if he's limited, if they they have him on a snap count or something like that, I think that dramatically increases the odds that A.J. Green goes over and maybe we split this, uh, split these two bats. Even if Hopkins goes under, Green could certainly go over on that. I'll throw out a couple numbers on Eric Stokes. Now, I've, I've been kind of eyeing this one for a couple of weeks now, but when Jerry Alexander went down, it really diminished the value in targeting Stokes. Obviously, if Alexander's on the field, you should focus all your attention on the rookie cornerback on the other side. So I was hesitant how offenses would adjust, but it's now been three games without Alexander. And in those three games, he's seen 18% of total targets and 31% of intended air yards against the Packers have been targeted at Stokes and he's giving up 10.7 yards per target. So teams are still going after him and he's still struggling. Like, you know, like a lot of rookie cornerbacks do. So Hopkins and green, they make up a very nearly a hundred percent of the downfield targets when the, when the Cardinals throw to the outside. So one of those guys is going to be lined up across from Stokes almost throughout the entire game. And anytime the Cardinals want to throw downfield, it certainly makes sense for them to look to that side of the field, wherever, wherever uh, Stokes is lined up whether it's Hopkins or Green on him, they should be getting the target if they want to take that shot at 10 or more yards downfield. I think I think they're going to have success there. You know, just specifically to A.J. Green, this has really been his role in the offense. You know, he's not seeing a huge volume, but 51% of his targets are at 10 or more yards downfield. So with his total only being at 46 and a half, you know, that could be just three or four catches based on his usage in the offense. If he's going up against Stokes, we should expect him to catch a pretty high percentage of those targets. So, you know, I, I really like the idea of pairing these two and you definitely have a chance to win both, but if for some reason Hopkins, the injury slows him down a little bit and you lose that one, 
it probably increases the odds that you hit green. So I, I think the odds of losing both of them is fairly low. So it's, it's a good, uh, a good option to pair those together. Yeah. I follow you there. Hopefully uh, on a short week, the Cardinals don't overcomplicate the game plan. Just go after the rookie cornerback. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, just keep it simple. Well, that's all for today's show. Corey, uh, thanks for joining me. Do you want to tell people where they can follow you and find your work at sports info solutions? Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate the invite. It was fun. Would be happy to come on anytime. Um, yeah, you can find me. My personal Twitter account is at Corey underscore March one. Um, you can follow sports info solutions at, at sports info underscore SIS. I mentioned the uh, weekly football newsletter that we, uh, we send out via email each week. You can go to sportsinfosolutions.com. There's a, um, a little tab at the bottom that you can insert your, um, your email address and, and get that delivered to you each week. Um, and yeah, keep, out, keep an eye out for my weekly prop betting piece on chart football. Great. Thanks again for joining me, Corey. Uh, that's all for today's show. Hope you guys have a fun and profitable week eight. I'm not going to